like every year, we want to talk about living a life of generosity. We love being a generous church. In fact, we're becoming known as a church that's crazy generous, and that's okay because, and this is a good spot for an amen, God's love seems crazy, doesn't it? God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And some things we do seem kind of crazy to people because it's driven by the unexpected, over-the-top love of God. In fact, Christ's love moves us to be generous with our lives in ways that are remarkable. I mean, if for just a moment you could just pause in, this, in the busyness of the day and, and, and with everything going on, if you could just get a glimpse of the cross. If you could just get a glimpse of what Jesus did and how he loved and how he lived and how he suffered, how he died, how he shed his blood, it ought to do something for your soul. It ought to strike a passion within you. And so what do we mean when we talk about generosity? Biblically, what does generosity mean? What does it look like in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ? Generosity is, at its core, it's a lifestyle. It's not something that we do intermittently, okay, but it's something that we are. It's, it's who we are becoming as followers of Jesus Christ. A lifestyle which we share all that we have as a demonstration of God's love and a response to God's grace. And I love that passage in Ephesians chapter 1 where the Bible says that God lavished his grace upon us. His grace is immeasurable. It's immense. And, and the reality is, is that we live in light of the sweetness of God's amazing grace. Generosity results in practically sharing with others what we've been given for the advancement of the kingdom and for the glory of God. And so what that means for us as Christians and what we learn from the life of Christ is this, and this is one of our, our truths this morning that you might want to jot down, Christ's love is all about Others greater than me. Others greater than me. And I trust that, like myself, this particular series, I think, is going to strike a chord in some of our hearts. Because most of us have a tendency to put ourselves ahead of other people. That's just the way that we are designed. That's the way human nature is. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, Christ's love is all about others greater than me. I want to share with you an example. And Mike read from our passage this morning in Mark chapter 5, 21 through 34. I want to share with you an example from the life of Jesus Christ. We, we need an account, we read, I'm sorry, of an account of how incredibly generous he was in the way that Jesus treated other people. Nothing to do with finances, nothing to do with giving, nothing to do with any of those things. We're just going to talk today about how generously Jesus treated other people. If you look in the passage in Mark chapter 5, if you read the entire context, and if you go back and read that maybe later today, Jesus has been walking around. He's been healing people. He's confronting demonic powers. He's walking on water. It's kind of like a normal day for Jesus, right? It's kind of like a Jesus day. He's teaching scores of people. I mean, he's uh, feeding the 5,000, and then uh, he's coming back from another teaching assignment, and he's getting off the boat, and he's kind of traversing through the city. He's got 12 disciples that are crazies, right? I mean, he picked 12 crazy dudes to be followers of him, and they were all over the map. And Jesus is mentoring these men to take the gospel when he leaves. Now, on this one day, Jesus shows up on a seaside town, and something interesting happens. 
this religious leader comes up to Jesus. His name is Jairus. And he comes running through the crowd. And could you imagine? This man comes running through the crowd. And he begins and he falls in front of Jesus with no hope in sight, desperate as any dad could be. His title didn't matter. And he falls on his face and on his knees and he begs Jesus for help. His daughter is dying of an illness. She has very little time to, 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 to live. And all the hope in the world that he has is dependent on this prophet, this rumored man that is walking around performing miracles. Jesus has never even met Jairus, but he understands that this is someone with influence in the community. It'd be like getting a call or a text or an invitation from like the town mayor or maybe a senator uh, or, or someone of that stature or someone of that nature. And it's a truly desperate situation. I mean, he's looking for help and he's willing. This man of stature is willing to humiliate himself in front of everyone to get to Jesus. So what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do in this situation? He helps. Jesus looks at this man, lifts him up off the ground, and they start heading to his house through the crowds, pressing through a crowd of people. And then something unusual happens. Jesus stops on the way to Jairus' house, on the way to heal this man's daughter of this terminal illness that could take her life at any moment. Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? Now, can I just say to you this morning that Jesus never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to? Jesus very well knew who touched him. Jesus very well knew what was going on. Jesus very well knew the situation. And here was a woman with an incredible medical condition who touched him, and she was healed in that very moment. And this, too, is a woman that Jesus has never physically met. She's drained her funds, and her hopes uh, of looking for a cure have diminished day by day as she gets sicker and sicker and sicker, drawing one day closer to, to her death. She's heard about Jesus and the miracles, and, and she's desperate, and she thinks to herself, maybe, Maybe if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just touch him, maybe something would just happen for me. How desperate the situation. When she touches him, Jesus knows. Jesus knows, and he just stops right in his tracks. Who touched me? He wants her to see his face, and he wanted her to hear his voice. Isn't that precious this morning? We don't serve an impersonal Savior. We don't serve a God that doesn't know our names and doesn't know the hairs on our head, doesn't know the grief that we're bearing, the, tro- the, the troubles that we're facing. Jesus wanted her to know his face, to hear his voice. He wanted to touch her in a way that was appropriate. He wanted to minister to her need in that moment, even though everyone around him was wanting something from him. He takes time to stop what he is doing and ministers to her. How incredibly generous. He comforts her. He ministers to her need. He actually receives her into the family of God. And then he goes on to heal Jairus' daughter because he didn't ignore that need either. Here's Jesus. Now think about this with me when we think about generosity this morning. Here's Jesus changing his schedule. Some of us, when it comes time to change our schedule, we kind of flip out a little bit, don't we? Right? Well, maybe you guys are more righteous than I am. Jesus changed his schedule. 
Jesus put his agenda to the side to respond to this need. He took time to, for someone with influence and someone that had no influence. Jesus didn't have time to stop and talk to this woman. Or I'm sorry, I take that back. Jesus didn't have, he didn't have to stop and talk to the woman. She was healed before she said anything, but she needed to hear. Listen to this. She needed to hear that Jesus cared. And friends, that's love. And the reality is, is sometimes we're very good at writing checks, and sometimes we're very good at putting money in the offering plate, but there's something entirely different about spending a moment with someone and letting them know about the love of God and the sweet grace of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus didn't have to go to the home of Jairus to heal that little girl. He could have done that from a distance. He had done that before. In fact, in the process of dealing with this woman with the issue of blood, another man comes running up in verse number 35 and says to Jairus, your daughter is dead. And if I'm Jairus, man, like I'm kind of ticked about that, right? I'm like, whoa, Jesus, me first. You said you were going to roll with me and help me out in my situation. And now we got postponed because you helped someone else. But Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew how the scene was going to unfold. And Jesus just walks into that situation, steps into that little girl's room. And could you imagine the elation and the power of God when he put his hand on her and lifted her up and brought her back to life? He wanted Jairus to see that. He wanted him to feel that. Man, because Jesus loved people, he was generous with his time and his energy, his attention, and with everything. Everything about the life of Jesus teaches us generosity. When you think about it. Jesus sat, listen, and he prayed with little children. He prayed with little children. Sometimes, you know, we kind of push children to the side when there's an important person in the room. And I don't know of anyone that's been more important than Jesus Christ that's walked the face of the earth. And the most important person that ever walked the earth took time, sat down, allowed kids to crawl on his lap, and he laid hands on them and prayed for them. That ought to be an encouragement to those of you that serve in our children's ministry. He took time in the middle of the night to talk to a man by the name of Nicodemus who was struggling to understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be born again. He helped a guy at a wedding that ran out of wine. I mean, of all things, he helped a guy replenish his wine supply to have a celebration. He washed people's feet. I don't know of anything, there's few things less disgusting than feet. Can I get a witness? You guys with me? Right? I had a couple of requirements when I got married. I wanted a girl that had everything to offer from her feet to her family. That was the standard because I would not marry a girl with jacked up toes. Feet are gross, man. Jesus knelt down. And I can't imagine these 12 disciples, men of industry, men in the medical field. A couple of these guys were zealots. I mean, they were crazy, like warriors. And, they, you know, they didn't have, like, the, the metaspas that we have today, and they probably didn't go get many petties. Jesus kneels down and just washes their feet. He prayed for people that were in need. And on dying on the cross, his last act of love was when a thief and a criminal looked over at Jesus and said, remember me today when you enter your paradise. And he forgave him of his sins. You see, love drove Jesus to give his life to make it possible for us to know God. Love drove Jesus to give his life to make it possible for us to know God. And now we as followers of Jesus Christ have that same responsibility to show the love of God to those who are far from God, to those who are forgotten, so that they can know God themselves. 
And one of the things that we know from the Old Testament to the New is that God is a generous God, and we see that in how he gave his son. God demonstrated his love for us in Jesus Christ, and that very generosity in his life and in his death were demonstrated for us in the word of God. So what do we learn from all of this? How was it that Jesus was just so incredibly generous? I mean, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, Jesus was generous because, I mean, come on, Pastor James, Jesus. No, 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 man. He was generous because Jesus lived his whole life in relationship with God. And if you and I are going to be the generous people that God has called us to be, if we're going to live a life that overflows with blessing so that we have abundance in our life, so that we have abundant peace and abundant joy, abundant resources, so that we take our time, our energy, our efforts, we leverage that for the good of others so that we can really live out the purpose and the call of God in our life. If we're going to really experience God's plan and purpose in our life, it'll be when we live our life, our whole life, in relationship to God. Because see, Jesus believed that everything he had was a gift from God to be received with gratitude and was to be released back to God for the blessing of others. Jesus just believed that every single thing in his life was a gift from Almighty God to be released back into the life of others for their blessing. And friends, I mean, let's be honest. Oftentimes we forget how incredibly and truly blessed that we really are. And we don't receive the things that we get with gratitude. We tend to, as Americans, receive what we get with a sense of entitlement. I earned this. I deserve this. No, my friends, we deserve nothing but separation from God, eternal damnation. We deserve nothing good, and yet God and his love and favor has lavished his grace and given us his goodness and resource us to do something with our lives that will matter in eternity. So where does that leave you and me? What do we do with that kind of love towards us? Two points today. Number one, his life must be imitated. When you look at this story this morning, the life of Jesus Christ is a life of generosity. So Jackson Creek, I want to appeal to you this morning. Can I challenge you to consider the possibility and the potential of imitating the life of Jesus Christ. Can I just for a moment get you to consider what it would look like for you to truly imitate the life of Jesus Christ and what power and what potential there is in you and I living out the love of Jesus Christ in the lives of others. You know, in another account in the Gospel of John, Jesus told his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And listen to what Jesus says, crazy stuff right here. Greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus was teaching them that they would do greater works than even himself. You guys with me for a second? Does that make sense to you? I mean, Jesus just brought a girl back to life. He brought his friend Lazarus back from the dead after he had been dead for three days. I mean, he walked, are you guys with me? He walked on water. He took a little boy's Hebrew Happy Meal and fed 5,000 people. Two loaves. Or two fish and five loaves. He's 5,000 people. 10,000, actually, if you counted the women, which they didn't do in the biblical account. I mean, Jesus did, can I, get a, can I get a witness on that? He did some pretty incredible things. And Jesus is telling his disciples, and I mean, these guys, they're kind of nerds, man. Like, I mean, if they were picking like an all-star team, you wouldn't have picked the disciples, but that's who Jesus picked up. Because that's who 
will give him the most glory and show his grace among his people. And Jesus, listen, when I'm gone, you're going to do greater things than I've even done. What was he talking about? What, why, how is that even possible? I'm going to tell you how it's possible. First of all, followers of Jesus Christ are empowered by the Holy Spirit. What Jesus was saying to these men is like, he said this, listen, Jesus inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. Jesus inside of you. The moment that you accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came in you and he took up residence in your life. And the reality is this, is that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And, and, and this morning, we live and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, okay, that's cool. I got the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean for me to do greater works than what Jesus did? Well, the greater work that Jesus was talking about was salvation. That's why Mike talked about sin this morning. That's why we took a moment this morning to pray for these empty seats. That's why we're asking you, we're challenging you, we're imploring you to bring your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers to Easter, to any church service during this series and beyond, because the greater work is salvation. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Turning water to wine, pretty cool miracle. Walking on water, pretty supernatural, right? Jesus did some pretty crazy things. Bringing someone back from the dead, right? Amen? Pretty crazy stuff. But guess what? In every one of those miracles, every one of those people eventually died and they spent eternity somewhere. So the greater miracle isn't that we can heal somebody. The greater miracle isn't that we can get rid of disease because one day we all still have an appointment with death. And the greater miracle is transcending from this life that is temporal to a life that is eternal. And that is the greater work that Jesus was talking about. The way that we do that is by imitating the life of Jesus Christ. So this morning, if we're going to be involved in the supernatural mission of God, we've got to live a life that's lived in relationship to God our Father. It means that we live and love the way that Jesus lived. It means that we leverage our lives and our resources so that others can be touched by God's love. I mean, death just seems very pertinent to me this week. My mom took her husband's body and she is going, she cremated him, and there's going to be no funeral. He lived, he died, and now he is forgotten. And very soon, very few people will ever even remember that Jerry Bragg was a part of this planet and lived his life. So what is life? Yeah, it's a vapor, and it's here one minute, and it's gone the next. But if we leverage our lives, and we look to eternity, and we keep our eyes on the prize, and we press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, one day when we take our final breath, whether we're remembered or not, one day when we stand before a holy God, and we give an account for the life that we lived, and the resources that we were given, we will hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. One day we're going to be walking down the streets of heaven, and I, I hope that the folks that I've been able to have the opportunity to point their lives and introduce them to Jesus Christ, they're going to come back and they're going to say, hey, I'm glad that Jesus saved me, but I want to tell you thank you for giving back to God what he gave to you. And there are going to be scores of people in our life that their lives have been touched by God's love and they were introduced to Jesus Christ because of God's love towards us. So I want to ask you this morning, are you living a life that's, uh, are you living with a sensitivity in your relationship to God? Are you living with a sensitivity in your relationship with God? Now, this morning, if you're new to our church and you're just kind of sticking around to see what this is all about, Jesus' love for us as sinners and his forgiveness to us changes everything about the way that we live. When Christ's 
forgiveness. Uh, when Christ forgives us, everything changes. And this morning, if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, this morning would be a great day to do that. It would be a great day to experience God's love in your life. Now, Jesus could have seen this leader. He could have seen this nobody woman, and he could have seen it as an imposition. And sadly, so often we treat people as an imposition. We do. If we're being honest, oftentimes we treat people as an imposition or we ignore them because we figure that they'll, they're in a situation because of their own choices that they made for their own life, and we can't help that. So here's what we do. We set up boundaries. We've got to have boundaries. We've got to have, we have fence posts around us so that no one, you know, oversteps us, hurts us, or, you know, all of those things. And I, I get that to some degree. But just this past week, I was super convicted about this very idea. Clint and I had a meeting at Panera, and as we're going in, I was walking in first, and what I believed to be was probably a homeless man came up, and I tried to dart for the door because I just didn't feel like dealing with it that day. Clint stops because he's incredibly compassionate, unlike myself, and um, he's an I on the disc profile, and I'm a D. I'm just all about getting the job done. I ignored this guy walking into the restaurant. This man begins to share that he didn't have a home, he didn't have anything to eat, couldn't feed his family, was asking Clint for money, and obviously Clint's like, I'm going to give you money, but I'll buy you something to eat. Walked into the restaurant and bought that man's lunch that afternoon. Guys, that's what it means to meet a need. That's what it means to touch someone's life and to show the love of God and to take time. You know, we come up with boundaries around our generosity because we have a tight schedule or it isn't our responsibility. Or maybe we think, well, that person's in that situation because it is their fault. Well, guess what? Maybe they did make some bad decisions, but they just need someone to help lift them up out of the miry clay. Maybe they need someone to show them some love. Someone once said, and I love this quote, I pray that we could memorize this as a church family. There are going to be thing, a lot of things in this world that you're going to find that aren't your fault, but they are your responsibility. A lot of things in life that aren't your fault, but they are your responsibility. Imagine if Jesus just ignored this poor woman and this desperate man. Or if he thought, she likely did this to herself, and it's not my problem. I've got bigger things to do. Her family should be able to take care of her need. It's not on me. But God puts need in front of you because of your ability to help. So his life should be imitated, but it should inspire us. This is it right here. It should inspire us. Everything you've gotten is a gift from God. I know you guys hear this every year, but I think we need to say it again. You live in a country where it's safe to worship. If you have home, a home, a food, access to medical care, an education, and a change of clothes, you're among the top ten richest in the entire planet. You guys with me? Top 10. Let that resonate for a moment. You make $30,000 a year, and you have access to education. You have access to, 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 to medicine. If you have a, a roof over your head, you are more rich than 10% or 90% of the entire population of planet Earth. J.D. Greer says it this way, as you've been to me, so I'll be to others. And you know what that means? As you've been forgiving to me, as you've been loving to me, as you've been generous to me, so I'll be to others. And so what that means for us as followers of Jesus Christ, we live open-handedly. All that we have gotten, we have gotten from God. And all that we have gotten from God, we are willing to give out in the blessing of others. And that might be our money. But that might be our time. It might be our, our abilities. It might be our talent. It might be something that you're not even aware of yet. But we live open-handedly and we're willing to give that back to God. So instead of just trying to get more out of life, begin to just give more back to God and to those who is providentially placed in your sphere of influence. 
Bob Goff said it this way, God never told us success meant big accomplishments. Success with him has always meant simply, listen to this, living in grace and walking in love. And can I just say to you, like, and I'm, this is just a personal thing. When I studied this week, man, I was convicted about this. Because God's calling on my life as a follower of Jesus Christ is to walk in love to those who don't know the love of Jesus Christ. It's to walk in love with my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. To be a person that's characterized by love. And can I ask you something this morning? How would you be characterized? I know that if people were to sit down, some of my closest friends, and they were to characterize me, love would not be on the top of the list. Demanding? Yes. Self-centered? Yes. On and on I could go with all my negative qualities, but if they had to describe me, love would probably not top that list. And you know, the sad thing is, is that the lost world can sometimes be more loving. Those who don't know Christ, lost people can sometimes be more loving than Christian people can be. God help us if we are not the most loving people in our work environment. God help us if we're not the most loving people in our home. God help us if we're not the most loving people in our neighborhood. God help us if people can't call us and ask us for for help in their time of need. So if you want God's favor, and this is all we want for you this month. If you want God's favor, if you want success, and success is defined by the kingdom, God's love will inspire you to love and live for others through a generous life. The Apostle Paul had his heart gripped. He had his heart gripped by God's love, and he leveraged his life to serve others and to introduce those far from God to Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says this, for the love of Christ controls us. The Greek word actually is translated many different ways. It means it's a picture word, and it means pressed upon on every side. Paul is saying that I am so enveloped in God's love that I can't help but serve him. I can't help but leverage my life. I'm willing to sit in this stanky jail cell. I'm willing to give my life so that others might come to know Jesus Christ. And listen, for some of you this morning, God's not going to ask you to give your life to him because most of us aren't even living for him in the first place. So for most of us this morning, we have to take that first step and say, I'm going to live in love like Jesus lived in love. What motivates you? We talk about this stuff not because the church needs your money, but because we want to see God's favor on your life. Christians aren't, like I said, the most loving. But when we've grown in love and we walk in relationship with God, our generosity increases and God blesses our life. Who doesn't want, listen, who doesn't want some blessing in their life this month? Amen? Who doesn't want to see God's favor in their life? Who doesn't want to see generosity poured out in love to others and to see people come to know Jesus? Who doesn't want some of that? Well, if we understand that Christ's love was all about others greater than me, then we'll start to see God's favor. We'll start to see an overabundance of resources in our life. We'll start to see more money coming into our checking accounts because we're willing to spill it out for the cause of Christ and for the advancement of God's kingdom. We'll begin to see lives touched and there'll be a a greater, more transcendent joy and peace and purpose in our life, not because we're trying to accumulate and build out our 401k, but because we're trying to reach people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ because time is limited and death is near. So here's the question. Are there ways, or is there a way 
in which you can imitate or that you're inspired by the life of Jesus to release what he's given to you back to him for the blessing of others. This type of living invites God's favor and blessing into your life, and what greater joy to see his children imitating and inspired by him. I don't know about you, but when my kids catch something that I've been teaching them, my heart soars with joy. How many parents know what I'm talking about? And it's, sometimes it's kind of stupid stuff, like when they clean their bathroom the right way. I'm like, oh, my gosh, man. The rapture's about to happen. Jesus is coming soon. Like, I get fired up when they just obey, right? And I'm a human father. But could you imagine how God feels when we catch a glimpse of what it means to imitate and to be inspired by him? We want you to see how God used the generous choices to touch lives and accelerate the work of the church and even change the world through ordinary people who decided to live out their faith and live generously.